by the power of the Holy Spirit working through word and sacrament. Then we hunger and thirst for the righteousness of God. My friends, it's just that simple. It's in the divine service that he's there for you, that he delivers the forgiveness. That's where he promises forgiveness will be. Uh, And so that's why it's so important uh, to be in church. We long that God would answer the prayer when we pray, deliver us from evil. Get me out of here. Get me out of this sin-filled world. And that is Jesus Christ uh, who says, do not count their sin against them for my blood has paid the price for that. Now on 95.7 FM, it's Proclaiming the One with Pastor Clint Poppy and Pastor Adam Moline from Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Lincoln, Nebraska. Welcome once again to Proclaiming the One. Pastor Clint Poppy, Pastor Adam Oline, Vicar Albert Bader. We're privileged to serve at Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Lincoln, Nebraska. Each week we take a look at the readings for the upcoming Sunday worship service. We use the one-year series of readings in LSB here at Good Shepherd. And we proclaim the one Lord Jesus Christ, the one Savior from sin, As he is revealed to us in his word, we examine the one-year readings, and today in our program, we're going to be looking at the readings for the third Sunday after Epiphany. How are you today, Pastor Moline? I'm doing very well, very well. Enjoying this uh, winter weather here, finally. Yeah, we get a little North Dakota back in Nebraska. Oh, yeah, sure, you betcha. Yeah, well, just remember, folks, he is a Nebraska boy at heart. Uh, after an eight-year stint in uh, North Dakota. But uh, if you want to blame the weather or the cold or the snow on anybody, blame it on him. Vicar, are you ready to go today? I think so, sir. Okay. Why don't we have a go at the introit uh, portion of Psalm 97, the selected verses for the third Sunday after Epiphany. The heavens proclaim his righteousness, and all the people see his glory. For you, O Lord, are most high over all the earth. You are exalted far above all gods. The Lord reigns. Let the earth rejoice. Let the many coastlands be glad. O you who love the Lord, hate evil. He preserves the lives of his saints. He delivers them from the hand of the wicked. Light is sown for the righteous and joy for the upright in heart. Rejoice in the Lord, O you righteous, and give thanks to his holy name. Okay, we have uh, this heavens and the peoples proclaiming his righteousness, see his glory. Uh, First of all, Pastor, who is the his here in our antiphon that has the possession of righteousness and glory? And so what? What does it mean for us? Well, it's God that possesses glory. Uh, It is God that contains that within himself. Uh, Also then, Jesus as well, uh, being God, has that glory, uh, which is seen clearly in the cross as he gives up his life and dies for the forgiveness of sins. Uh, And so God is the one who has that glory. 
And it's important then uh, that it is we who see that, that uh, all the peoples over all the world, uh, this being the season of Epiphany when God makes manifest who he is in the personal work of Jesus, the whole world looks at Christ and sees that glory uh, and therefore confesses him to be the true God. How in the world do the heavens proclaim God's righteousness? Um, the, the heavens have no mouth. The heavens have no personality or whatever. How, how does that happen, Pastor? Well, there's a variety of ways this is true. Uh, first off, the heavens up above, that means sky. When you look up and you see all the stars and the moon and all that stuff that uh, proclaims the uh, amazing ability of God to create things that are beautiful to look at. Uh, and that uh, can show his righteousness and his glory forth. We also then have this idea in the book of Revelation of all the angels um, singing God's praises, the hallelujah chorus that uh, everyone is familiar with, uh, are words from the book of Revelation uh, that the angels sing, hallelujah, the kingdom of this world is now become the kingdom of our God. All these things are together uh, as the heavens proclaim his righteousness. Are we talking then uh, the natural knowledge of God that all people possess uh, by looking at nature, or is it something more than that? Well, that's where that's the first place we begin with that uh, particular passage and that word, the heavens, is the natural knowledge of God. Um, it, it goes on and it teaches us more as the words go on, which is then how we build up to the revealed knowledge of God uh, in the personal work of Jesus. In the uh, next line of the introit, it says, For you, O Lord, and that's Yahweh there, are most high over all the earth. You are exalted far above all gods. So most high above all, in, in all the earth, most high above all gods. Vicar, what's the word picture that's going on here with regard to God being higher than everybody and everything else? Well, first of all, we have all the earth. So all the created things on earth that people are drawn to to worship, whether that be uh, money or false idols or stuff like that, God's far above all those false means of worship. And also, he's above all gods. Uh, he reigns above everything. You know, people have worshipped the sun and the moon and the stars. God reigns above those. Basically, he's saying... I am God, and I am the only God. I was reminded, uh, going through this real quickly, we talk about that a lot, you know, in the Old Testament. There's all this talk about all different gods, right? Well, in reality, there is only one God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That's it. All these other things are uh, simply made by human hands or things that we put our trust in, which is breaking the first commandment. There is no other God except for our God. And a great place to look that up for anybody that's interested would be Isaiah 44. Isaiah 44, there are several places in Scripture that uh, talk about God as the King of kings, the Lord of lords. We would say here he is the God of gods, the uh, other gods being small g gods, which are not gods at all. And another place to look would be the uh, first commandment in the catechism, and especially Luther's treatment of the first, cate first commandment in his large catechism. Uh, marvelous, marvelous words that uh, teach us the foolishness of our idolatry. Pastor, it says in the next line, the Lord reigns. 
and it's not uh, R-A-I-N-E or N-S, uh, like the uh, moisture that comes down from above, but the Lord reigns, R-E-I-G-N-S. This is kingly talk. In what way, Pastor, does the Lord reign? Well, um, God reigns as the ruler of all the heavens and the earth and all of creation. It is his creation, after all. Uh, and that's been a, a picture that, uh, you know, throughout all the history of uh, the Christian religion, we've had this understanding both before Christ came and now afterwards. But in the coming of Christ, we see very clearly his coronation. He is crowned with a crown of thorns. He is uh, a purple robe put on him as he's mocked by uh, Pilate and uh, all the Jews. Uh, he is enthroned upon a cross, sat there to rule from the cross uh, as the, the God of God and Lord of Lords and the ruler uh, of all that creation. And so uh, in that way, we do see him coronated as king, and uh, we know then that he is still reigning uh, in heaven over all the creation and will forever. The uh, the word picture here, he uh, he reigns from the coastlands. Uh, you know, from coast to coast, from sea to shining sea. Uh, there is no place where you can go to avoid the kingship of God. And uh, many times the kingship of God is connected, as you mentioned, with the uh, creation. God made everything, so he owns it. Um, a little bit later, it talks about how he preserves the lives of his saints, uh, first article kind of gifts, creation and preservation. Not only did he make it, but he keeps it going. And in that line, it talks about the specific way that he preserves his saints. He delivers them from the hand of the wicked. What kind of deliverance are we talking about here, Pastor? Is this, is this um, you know, I decide to walk downtown late at night and uh, there's a, a purse snatcher hiding in the shadows? Uh, uh, is this the kind of protection from the wicked that God is talking about, or is it bigger than that? Well, it could be that, um, but it's when he's talking here in this particular passage, he's talking about something much bigger. He's talking about the fact that no matter what things happen to you here in this world, um, that uh, in the end he will deliver you from this world to take you to the world that is yet to come where you will be resurrected to live with him forever in his uh, perfect, holy, and righteous kingdom. Uh, that no matter whether that purse snatcher, you know, if we're talking about uh, the Batman movies, you know, if... If the purse snatcher murders your parents in front of you, uh, the promise is still that you get to have those parents back in heaven uh, in the resurrection uh, through Jesus Christ, who is the first fruits of those that have slept and now been resurrected. You just re ruined the plot theme for millions of dollars worth of movies, Pastor. I'll have you know that. <laughs> it, it happens in the first bit of ever the movie, so uh, it's okay. Okay. All right. Very good. Um, we have an epiphany theme here. Light is sown for the righteous. Uh, in what way, you know, Vicar, you grew up on a farm, mm -hmm. um, and uh, you probably didn't uh, put too much light in the planter. <laughs> uh, when you're going to go out and sow seed. So what what is this word picture talking about here? Light is sown for the righteous. Well, when you do plant that seed in the ground, what do you need in order for it to grow? 
You need light, something to shine upon it and give it growth. Well, that is what Jesus continually does for us. He is the light that shines in the darkness. He is the one that guides us along our ways to truth. Uh, His word is truth. And so by this light that is sown for the righteous, uh, we have the light of salvation. That is, we have faith in Jesus working through his word in sacraments. And when you sow something in the ground... More of it grows. More of it grows. And so this light grows and it manifests itself into, and right here in the last part of our um, introit, it says, light is sown for the righteous and joy for the upright in heart. Rejoice in the Lord, you righteous. Give thanks to his holy name. So as Christ is planted in the ground, and he is raised from the dead three days later, never to die again. The light here now is planted, or it shines on the word that is planted, however you want to use that metaphor, and it bears fruit. And the fruit is holy living, the righteousness of the uh, Christian who clings to Christ in faith, and joy and thanksgiving, and against these things, there is no law. Uh, I think we've we've set the stage here. Um, the uh, introit oftentimes prepares us for the readings that are to come. We're in the season of Epiphany. We know that God is King. God reigns. He has the ultimate authority over all things, and He doesn't abuse that authority like so many people do on this side of heaven. Uh, He uses that authority for the good of his people. Keep these things in mind as we explore our next readings. And when we come back from break, we're going to go to Matthew 8, verses 1 to 13. Don't change that dial. This is Proclaiming the One. We'll be right back. You are listening to KNNALP 95.7 FM, Lincoln, Nebraska. Welcome back to Proclaiming the One. Pastor Poppy, Pastor Moline, we're looking at the readings for the third Sunday after Epiphany. Vicar had to take a little break. He's uh, teaching the young skulls full of mush Latin right now, and so we're just going to two-man it until he gets back up here. Uh, The gospel reading is one that um, is... uh, connected very very well i'm always i'm always hesitant to say that the introit sets the stage for the rest of our readings that's not really accurate however what the introit does is it prepares us for the other readings because it takes the themes that are there and incorporates it into one body of work and it helps us and it prepares. That's why we we uh, spend what may seem like a disproportionate amount of time on the introit and uh, we never, rarely uh, would uh, skip an introit to get into uh, one of the other sections. Um, the uh, Psalms are often neglected in our church and 99% of the introit is the Psalms. Uh, But uh, without further ado, Pastor, you want to take us away? Matthew 8, 
1 to 13. When Jesus came down from the mountain, great crowds followed him. And behold, a leper came to him and knelt before him, saying, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. And Jesus said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest, and offer the gift that Moses commanded for a proof to them. When he entered Capernaum, a centurion came forward to him, appealing to him, Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home, suffering terribly. And he said to him, I will come and heal him. But the centurion replied, Lord, I am not worthy to have you come under my roof, but only say the word and my servant will be healed. For I too am a man under authority, with soldiers under me. And I say to one, Go, and he goes, and another, Come, and he comes. And to my servant, Do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he marveled and said to those who followed him, Truly I tell you, with no one in Israel have I found such faith. I tell you, many will come from east and west and recline at table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven, while the sons of the kingdom will be thrown into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And to the centurion Jesus said, Go, let it be done for you as you have believed. And the servant was healed at that very moment. Okay, we've got a a powerful, powerful account here in Matthew 8. We've got two, not one, but two healing miracles of Jesus, two for the price of one in our text. And this, um, you know, when I'm I'm preaching a text like this, uh, it's always difficult because you have to make a decision. Are you going to focus on one? Are you going to focus on the other? Are you going to try to incorporate both and make some uh, comparisons and contrasts between the two? I don't think there is a right or a wrong way, but uh, gets you into some of the uh, behind the scenes, maybe uh, inside baseball kind of talk with regard to how a pastor, how a preacher approaches this text. Let's just dig into it and uh, see where see where we come out. Pastor, it's says right off the bat, when Jesus came down from the mountain, what mountain is Jesus coming down from that sets the stage for Matthew chapter 8? Yeah, even to make it even more difficult, uh, Jesus comes down the mountain, which uh, was the Mount of the Beatitudes, or the Mount where he uh, preached the Sermon on the Mount, uh, and that ends with uh, words that kind of help set the stage for this chapter eight, uh, when Jesus comes down or is up there uh, and finished speaking those things. The crowds were astonished at his teaching, for they he was teaching them as one who had authority not as the scribes. And so that helps set the stage for this particular text. Jesus preached the Sermon on the Mount, and everybody's amazed that he preached with authority. So he preached with authority, and in our second healing miracle with regard to the centurion, we have the centurion saying, hey, I I understand authority. Uh, I understand this authority and how this authority works. I think it's in the first miracle as well because the man says to Jesus 
if you will, not if you can. The man knows Jesus can. The question is, will he use the authority over things to help the man or not? So even though the word authority is not used in that first healing miracle, it really is about authority. That is uh, that is a marvelous insight, and that uh, that's one that I hadn't really thought about and hadn't really considered before as well. Um, you know, sometimes when we when we come to church and we hear the little snippets of scripture that constitute the readings, the introit, the psalm of the day. And, you know, they'll take up five or ten, or if there are long readings, 12 minutes in the in the worship service. And we have a hard time listening, and we're not used to being read to. And sometimes this seems tedious and boring. And we need to realize that we're just getting tiny little snippets of God's Word. And by listening here on KNNA LP 95.7, you, uh, you get often a chance to hear, uh, as we go into break and as we come out, the uh, advertisements for Max McLean. And to hear the longer sections of Scripture, maybe a chapter, chapter and a half, two chapters. And when you hear the Word of God in context, you see how all these things fit together. Mm-hmm. The, uh, the marvelous teaching and the discourse of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, recorded in Matthew 5, 6, and 7, ends with this astonishment and amazement by the people because Jesus was not like the regular teachers Jesus taught with authority. He didn't quote endless commentaries. He spoke with authority, his own authority. By what authority do you do these things? That's going to come a little bit later in Matthew when the scribes, the Pharisees, the teachers of the law send people to Jesus to find out who he thinks he is. This authority question is a really, really big authority question for us today. I've heard many, many young people as uh, they're talking inside or outside the church with regard to spiritual matters. And when they hear me say something like, my authority is the Bible. My authority is God's word. My authority is Uh, the Bible, because Jesus is the one who rose from the dead, many times they look at me with glazed eyes because they have a completely different authority in mind. Pastor, thoughts on this authority topic and how this ties in to what we're going to do as we get a little bit deeper into Matthew 8. Well, I think in our world today, we don't understand authority in the way that it actually should work and uh, even what the word authority means. Instead, we uh, have this idea of power, that people have power and they use that power uh, for their own good and uh, uh, to benefit themselves and you should get power for yourself and benefit yourself as well. Authority is an entirely different thing. Uh, in authority is when someone above you gives you a specific sort of things, set of things that you're to do uh, to benefit those around you and underneath you, uh, and that's kind of what authority is. So 
our Constitution says that the president uh, has particular authorities, things that he is in charge of for the good of the people. Our Constitution says Congress has particular things they have authority over uh, for the good of the people. Unfortunately, because our sinful world, uh, Congress and the president back and forth are always fighting about uh, the things that are not in their authority, uh, attempting to use power and to benefit themselves rather than people. Same way with pastors. Pastors have authority to forgive sins and to administer the sacraments on behalf of the people. Um, What we end up with instead are pastors looking to increase their power or influence or uh, to preach their own word, uh, and this whole idea gets messed up. And so authority is when someone is given the right to do particular things for the good of those around them. And that is what we have to understand as we talk about these miracles and Jesus having authority um, when he's preaching, when he's healing, and when he's uh, going about his ministry. He has authority to heal. He has authority to preach. He has authority to teach given to him from God uh, and for the good of those people that are receiving that word uh, or that healing. Yeah, I think I think that last thing that you said really, really uh, is the key for our discussion, uh, because he certainly has the power, he certainly has the authority. Now, how is he going to use that power and authority? Is he going to use it against me, or is he going to use it for me and for my benefit? We see this playing out in the political realm. We see this playing out in church politics. And now we have an opportunity to see that Jesus does not play around with power and authority. Great crowds followed him. Now, I'm assuming, Pastor, that these are the same great crowds that were uh sitting at his feet at the Sermon on the Mount. The word spreads. More people continue to follow him. Is uh, is there anything more to it than that here? No, I think the important thing to, to know is that from preaching of his word, um, which Matthew's Gospel also tells us uh, uh, that that word basically was a sermon that sounded like this, repent uh, for the kingdom of heaven draws near, uh, and all that goes with that, uh, preaching of the gospel and repentance, uh, people are starting to hear the word and to believe through hearing that word and therefore follow Jesus. This first miracle here is uh, um, a a very... Uh, well, it's kind of a preview of coming attractions, too, because here he heals one leper. Later on in Matthew, he's going to heal ten lepers. Uh, so it's not like this is some isolated little incident here. But this leper came up to him and knelt before him. And uh, someone who's afflicted with leprosy with this terrible skin disease was declared um, unclean. They were cast off from society. They were cast off from their family. They were cast off from the church. Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. Now, where I wanted to go with this before was uh, Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, where he says, um, Lord, take this cup from me, but not my will, thy will be done. Where where we see this uh, uh, echo of the Lord's prayer, um, thy will be done uh, on earth as it is on heaven, And you brought in kind of a new little twist here that had to do with the power and the authority. Uh, We got a minute or so left in this segment, Pastor. Refresh our minds with regard to the, if you will, 
versus if you can. Yeah, and in fact, in the Greek, I think it makes it even more clear. Uh, the The man says, Lord, first off, saying that Jesus is uh, God, the God of the Old Testament. Uh, if you will, Thales, uh, that's, there's contingency there. If you want to, if you're able, not if you're able, if you want to, if you wish. Um, and then after that, he has a confession of faith. Uh, which is the word dunatai, or in this case, dunasai, you are able to make me clean. Uh, it's a confession of faith. Lord, you are able to make me clean. And then we have that word of contingency, if you wish. Uh, if you want to, Lord, you could do it. All you have to do is snap your fingers or speak the word, and it would happen. That's a confession of faith that this man says before Jesus, saying you have the authority to do so, and he doesn't know if he'll use that authority for his benefit or not. And uh, Jesus' response here is, uh, uh, it just brings a a smile to my face. It's almost comical. Jesus says, uh, Jesus reached out his hand and touched him. He wasn't concerned about becoming ritually unclean himself. He reached out his hand and said, I will be clean. Mm -hmm. Almost as if it's no big deal. Of course I will. Of course I will. We see the nature and the love of, of God manifest here in this healing miracle. We got to take a break. We're going to come back with uh, Luke cha- or uh, Matthew chapter eight. We've got so much more to say on this particular text. Don't change that dial. We'll be right back. at noon on KNNA. Welcome back to Proclaiming the One. Pastor Poppy, Pastor Moline, we're privileged to serve at Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Lincoln, Nebraska. We'd uh, like to have you come and join us for worship. Sunday morning, 8 and 10.30, Sunday school for all ages in between. Wednesday evening year-round at 6.30. We're located at 3825 Wildbriar Lane. All of our worship services, good Lord willing, if we have enough volunteers and the equipment uh, continues to work, good Lord willing, all of our worship services are live on 95.7 KNNALP. You can also listen on your uh, handheld app or on our uh, website, www.thecross957.org. We have an archive session. Uh, You might have to do a little digging around right now. We're uh, making some changes on our uh, radio website, but uh, keep hunting. You'll find it. And uh, we're going to find right where we left off here with Matthew 8, 1 to 13. 
Pastor, we're looking at the first miracle that Jesus has as he heals the leper in Matthew 8, 1 to 13. Um, the uh, man comes up to him. He says, uh, if you will, Jesus, you can make me clean. Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, and he says, I will be clean. Um, kind of like Joe Friday on Dragon. Yeah. Just the facts, man. Just the facts. That, that's the will of God, right, to heal sinners and to make them well, uh, not just in this world, but for always, yeah. To make them well, you might even say to make them whole. Mm-hmm. Because he was being restored not only with his flesh, but he was being restored in his relationship with his family, with his society, with his God. All these things are happening. And uh, we see that as, um, you know, immediately, as soon as Jesus said the word, uh, his leprosy was cleansed. We see that authority in action. And Jesus said, See that you say nothing to anyone. Now, uh, Whenever we look at the Gospel of Mark, you know, scholars will talk about the Markan secret and all that. Well, there's a Matthew secret and a Luke secret and a John secret, too. Uh, This is nothing exclusive to the Gospel of Mark. It's just more prevalent in Mark. So here, why does Jesus say, don't tell anybody? Yeah, I think that's a good question. Um, I think the reason is, is that Christ knows when his hour is. We talked about that last week in in, uh, John's Gospel. And uh, he knows what things he needs to accomplish before that time. And if this gets out now and starts spreading around all the things that he's doing, I think it accelerates that hour. And so God, uh, through his wisdom, tells these people not to to keep their mouth shut until the proper time. Uh, And then they can reveal what's happened when he has, his hour has come. We uh, we had a, a nice discussion during break with regard to the uh, um, Matthew 28 section in uh, the end of the uh, gospel here of Matthew, uh, the part commonly referred to as the Great Commission. Um, the way some pastors and congregations teach it, it would be the Great Obligation. That if you don't do this, people are going to die and go to hell. Their salvation is all up to you. Stop snapping your fingers. People are going to hell, that kind of a thing. And I think now, Pastor, would be as good a time as any to connect the dots that we talked about during the break um, with regard to this authority because we've got a lot of authority stuff going on. That authority word is used in Matthew 28. So we've got this authority from beginning to end in Matthew. And a proper way to understand this Great Commission text in light of this authority stuff that we've been talking about. Well, yeah, Jesus has authority over leprosy in this first miracle, uh, over another disease in the second miracle. Uh, He preached and taught with authority in the uh, Sermon on the Mount, And now uh, we look forward to Matthew 28 when Jesus rises from the dead and is ascending into heaven. Uh, As he goes up to heaven, he says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, Uh, something he's already displayed throughout the gospel, and now he's proclaiming it to be true. And that authority then, what's what's the thing that he uh, uses that authority for? For the good of those around him and under him. Uh, And that authority then is proclaimed in this way, go and make disciples of all nations, 
That's the authority of Jesus. Jesus is the one doing that through the ones that he sends, the apostles uh, and the disciples and pastors uh, today. How does that happen? Uh, It is a a dative of means, by means of making them, uh, you make disciples by means of uh, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and by teaching them all the things that I command you, uh, all the words that Jesus says, and especially then the words that he commanded, uh, take, eat, this is my body, take, drink, this is my blood, shed for you for the forgiveness of sins, by baptizing, by preaching the word, and by administering the Lord's Supper, that's the way that Jesus is going to make disciples of all nations, using his authority for the good of all those people, uh, and thus bringing them into salvation. So the power and the authority all the way through the Gospel of Matthew is for the benefit, the salvation of poor, miserable sinners like you and me. Right. And that that brings into the next little miracle here in our gospel lesson. Oh, if uh, people today would use their power and authority for good rather than evil. That takes us back to the introit. All right, so in our time that we have left in this segment, let's look at this uh, second miracle. When he entered Capernaum, so Jesus is traveling here, uh, a centurion came forward, uh, came, uh, forward to him appearing to him, Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home, suffering terribly. And he said to him, I will come and heal him. In our first miracle, the individual, the leper, was asking for a miracle for himself. Now we have intercessory prayer. We have someone asking for a miracle, not for their own benefit, but for the benefit of someone else. I think that is significant. And a Gentile, no less, a centurion. And a centurion, uh, Gentile. This man is paralyzed, suffering terrible. And he also says, uh, and Jesus says, I'll come and heal him. That's who I am. That's what I do. I'll come and heal him. But the centurion, after asking for this miracle, now seems to put the brakes on Jesus. What's happening here, Pastor? Well, the centurion is making a good confession that he understands uh, who Jesus is, uh, that he has authority to uh, heal sinners and to uh, forgive sins and all these things, Um, but also that he understands um, Jewish laws. And so he says, wait a second, Lord, I know you have the authority to do it, um, but I also know that um, you're Jewish and I'm not, and it's not uh, uh, always acceptable for you to come under my house. So all you have to do is say the word, just like I as a centurion say to my soldier, go and do this, and he does. If you speak the word right here and right now, Lord, the thing that you speak uh, will happen as soon as you say it, uh, because that's what authority is the authority you have. And uh, so it's a confession of faith that Jesus doesn't even have to go there uh, bodily here, but all he has to do is speak a word, and the word itself will accomplish what he wishes. There, uh, There's a lot of things going on here. 
he uh, he confesses that Jesus is Lord, mm-hmm. and uh, to hear this confession coming out of the lips of a Gentile, a non-Jew, is uh, rather significant. He shows respect, seemingly, for the Jew- Jewish ceremonial laws, uh, in uh, not and and we see that in the first part of the the first miracle as well. Go show yourself to the priest, and so Jesus, uh, by what if he would enter into the home of the centurion, there would cause all kinds of uh, ritual uncleanness and ceremonial faux pas there as well. And then he says, um, and he does that by saying, "I'm not wor- worthy," but then he says, "But only say." the word. And then he goes on to this long, you know, I understand how authority works. I tell people to jump, they jump. I tell people to jump, they say how high. Uh, I understand how, yeah, you just say the word, Lord. Connect for me, connect the dots. The centurion uh, talking about authority, about authority. I say the word and people jump. I say the word, connect the dot here. When the centurion says to Jesus, say the word, That'll be enough. Yeah. Um, the centurion believes Jesus has that authority, so when he says something, it happens. And that's something that Christ displays throughout his entire ministry. He doesn't have to go and touch all the people uh, and that by touching him, uh, the, the the miracle happens. All he has to do is say the word. And it's the same miracle then to expand and, and put it into our context. What is it that makes a baptism a baptism? It's not just the water, but what is it? It's the word of God in the water. In that word, um, through Christ's authority, that child or whoever's being baptized becomes a part of God's kingdom. Uh, What is it that makes the Lord's Supper the Lord's Supper? It's not just uh, the pastor holding it up or the pastor waving his arms over it. Or the the brand of wine. Or the brand of wine or the flavor of bread. But what it is is Christ's word being present. Uh, Take, eat, this is my body. Take, drink, this is my blood. And when that word is present, the authority of Christ is carried in that word uh, and does exactly what it says. Or when uh, the pastor says, I forgive you all your sins, uh, it's the authority of the word of Christ that does what what that says. And that's the way it is all the time with Christ. His word carries the authority and does exactly what it promises to do, creating and sustaining faith. Jesus goes on to uh, uh, commend this man's faith that he just believes the word. He doesn't need to see a miracle. He doesn't need to see this. He doesn't need to set. He just believes the word. Kind of reminds me in uh, John 21 when uh, Jesus says, Thomas, uh, you see me and you believe. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. We've got some of that going on here. Then Jesus goes on to a discourse saying, you know, here's the wild and crazy thing. You know, the people that have had the word all along, the children of God, they reject it and they're going to spend eternity in hell. And the people who are just hearing the word now for the first time, they're gobbling it up, and they're going to be in heaven before the children of God. And so we see that this Jew-Gentile division, division torn down by the death and resurrection of Jesus, we see this continuing to play out here. Uh, throughout the pages of Scripture, uh, we'll, we see it very clearly in the first three chapters of Romans as well. But uh, here, Jesus just basically says, it's gone. 
It's gone. And then at the end, uh, to the centurion, Jesus said, Go, let it be done for you as you have believed. And the servant was healed at that very moment. Pastor, in what way, in the time that we have left, about a minute, in what way does that phrase or that statement of Jesus, in some respect, sum up the Christian life? Go, let it be done for you as you have believed. Yeah, faith receives the word of Christ and all the things that it does. And so when we have faith, uh, it's not faith in faith, but rather faith in Jesus. Faith is like a, a, a baseball glove, and uh, in a movie, um, The Sandlot, uh, the, the guy takes him and stands him out in the outfield and says, just hold the glove up like that. He goes back to home plate, and he hits the ball so that it lands perfectly in that guy's glove. Uh, and you can go watch the movie. It's a great baseball movie. All all guys have to watch that at some point, right? That's what Jesus uh, does. V- Vicar, have you seen that? Oh yeah, oh have, yeah. You've seen that. See, he puts <laughs> he puts the what he promises right into our hand in that exact way. Faith is that that receives what he puts in there, and that's what this man has, and that gets to benefit from it. Awesome and very very well said. We need to take a break. Proclaiming the One, third Sunday after Sunday after Epiphany. When we come back, we're going to look at Second Kings five one to fifteen. Great, great Old Testament miracle passage. Don't change that dial. You are listening to KNNALP ninety five point seven FM, Lincoln, Nebraska. Jesus' name above all names, wonderful name, the name of Jesus. At the name of Jesus, every every knee will bow. That's the kind of power and authority he has. Welcome back to Proclaiming the One. We're looking at the readings for the third Sunday after Epiphany. In our first segment, we looked at the introit, a major portion of Psalm 97. In the next two segments, we looked in great detail at our gospel reading, the Two miracles for the price of one, Matthew 8, 1 to 13. The epistle reading is Romans 1, 8 to 17. We're not going to look at that today, although the end of that really is a marvelous summary of the entire letter, Paul's letter to the Romans, uh, where we're talking about uh, the, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. The righteous shall live by faith, not ashamed of the gospel. Uh, beautiful, beautiful words. We want to spend uh, our last segment on the Old Testament reading from Second Kings 5, uh, one of the great all-time Sunday school stories, and that's a long text. Vicar, take it away. Naaman, commander of the army of the king of Syria, was a great man with his master and in high favor, because by him the Lord had given victory to Syria. He was a mighty man of valor, but he was a leper. Now the Syrians on one of their raids had carried off a little girl from the land of Israel, and she worked in the service of Naaman's wife. She said to her mistress, Would that my lord were with the prophet who is in Samaria. He would cure him of his leprosy. 
So Naaman went in and told his lord, Thus and so spoke the girl from the land of Israel. And the king of Syria said, Go now, and I will send a letter to the king of Israel. So he went, taking with him ten talents of silver, six thousand shekels of gold, and ten changes of clothes. And he brought the letter to the king of Israel, which read, When this letter reaches you, know that I have sent to you Naaman my servant, my servant, that you may cure him of his leprosy. And when the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his clothes and said, Am I God? To kill and make alive that this man sends word to me to cure a man of his leprosy? Only consider and see how he is seeking a quarrel with me. But when Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes, he sent to the king, saying, Why have you torn your clothes? Let him come now to me, that he may know that there is a prophet in Israel. So Naaman came with his horses and chariots and stood at the door of Elisha's house. And Elisha sent a messenger to him, saying, Go and wash in the Jordan seven times, and your flesh shall be restored, and you shall be clean. But Naaman was angry and went away, saying, Behold, I thought that he would surely come out to me and stand and call upon the name of the Lord his God and wave his hand over the place and cure the leper. But are not Arbana and Fafar? Farpar, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? Could I not wash in them and be clean? So he turned and went away in rage. But his servants came near and said to him, My father, is it a great word that the prophet has spoken to you? Will you not do it? Has he actually said to you, Wash and be clean? So he went down and dipped himself seven times in the Jordan, according to the word of the man of God. And his flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child, and he was clean. Then he returned to the man of God, he and all of his company, and he came and stood before him. This is uh, is a great text. It's a fun text to preach and teach. There's so many things going on here that we're not going to be able to unpack even even a majority of them. Uh, We'll try to summarize as much as we can. There's a lot of talk going on now about uh, Syria. And uh, Syria's in the news. Uh, we've got military troops there. We're going to keep the troops there. We're going to return. You know, get out a map, get out a globe, get out an atlas, whatever, and check this out and see where this is. We have uh, we have a lot of things going on uh, in our world that connect us to the biblical world. These are real places, real people. This is a part of our history. The uh, king of Syria. Uh, has a very, very special place in his heart for Naaman. We see this because when Naaman is sick, stricken with leprosy, maybe for some own personal benefit, I don't want to lose my best military leader, but also because Naaman's a great guy, um, I don't want him to die. And I'll do anything to keep him alive. When he hears this rumor from this little girl that had been carried off into captivity, he acts on it. And he acts on it in a big way. We uh, we see all the uh, all the things kind of kind of either payment or bribes, however you want to look at this. Ten talents of silver, six thousand shekels of gold, ten changes of clothes. Now a change of clothes does not seem like that big of a deal, but this is a big deal when you live in the desert, when you live in the wilderness, when there is not uh, cloth available to uh, to make clothing. 
and uh, he brought the letter to the king of Israel, which read, When this letter reaches you, know that I have sent you Naaman, my servant, that you may cure him of his leprosy. And upon that, the king of Israel goes epoplectic. Why was the king of Israel so upset? Well, there's so much here. The king of Israel is upset because he thinks this is a ploy to try and cause a reason for war. Okay, so you send your army commander uh, under your authority. You say, uh, go invade this country, and he does it. And he, uh, you say, go do this, and he'll go do it as soon as you say it. You send him to me, and you tell me I need to do something that's impossible for me to do. Uh, and he's got all these gifts and things which uh, if I don't do what you tell him, if I don't do what you've asked me to do, uh, that gives you a reason to come and invade my territory, to steal my people, and we're already at conflict, as you can tell. There's a young girl that has been kidnapped and taken up there uh, as a spoil of war. Um, it looks like the king of Syria is trying to pick a fight with the king of Israel, and the king of Israel is not happy about it because he doesn't believe he can win that fight. So isn't it amazing that a little girl who paid attention in Sunday school or Sabbath school, whatever they had back then, she believed the word of God. And the king of Israel did not. It didn't even dawn on him. He was so worried about his political uh, worries and war and alliances and all that kind of stuff. It never dawned on him that maybe God would have a word to speak to Naaman. And so now we have uh, enter stage left, the prophet Elisha. Not Elijah, but Elisha. Elisha, we know, is bald. Um, he called the bears down on the junior high boys that were mocking him one day. Uh, another great Sunday school story. Well, <laughs> no, I don't think that would make it I to Sunday school. I don't know if that school. one's in there, yeah. Yeah, but uh, see what you get when you uh, uh, read the Bible. Uh, when Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes, he sent to the king, saying, Why have you torn your clothes? Let him come down to me, that he may know that there is a prophet in Israel. What's the whole big deal about there being a prophet in Israel? Vicar? There is somebody that you can go to to hear the word of God and know that it's true. And uh, that's what Elisha is showing here. And uh, we'll get into it a little bit more, how he works and does the will of God. But it's interesting that Elisha, kind of like in our reading for today, uh, works through a messenger for the gospel reading, that is. Yeah, we've we've got some uh, some fun coming on here with the great with regard to the delegation of authority. Remember that big authority word is here, Pastor. And that authority is carried by God's word. We talked about that in the gospel lesson. The word is the thing that has the authority of God brought out into all the land. Uh, uh, go and teach them all I have commanded you. Go, it'll be done for you just as uh, you have believed. Uh, all the word, the word uh, carries that authority, and uh, we see that here as well. It is the word that is spoken that accomplishes what is asked of it, or promised, or you know all those different ways. So we we have to keep that in our mind as we read this Old Testament lesson as well. No, I think that's very well said, and uh, the little girl had that authority because she believed the word. Right. And the king of Israel did not have that authority because he rejected 
the word of God. And then Elisha has that authority when he preaches the word and its truth and purity. It does exactly what it says. Okay, so um, we we have more disappointment coming here. Um, Naaman, uh, he, he gets a little bit of hope. He goes over to Elisha's house, uh, the prophet of the Lord. And uh, the prophet of the Lord doesn't even get out of the uh, out of his lazy boy recliner, um, Elisha sent a messenger to him saying, go wash in the Jordan seven times and your faith will be restored and you shall be clean. But Naaman was angry. Pastor, why was Naaman angry? Didn't he get what he wanted? He wanted to be clean? He doesn't know that the word does the work. He wants there to be some sort of ritual. He wants a man to come out and lay hands on him and to... Uh, Dance around, maybe even, uh, you know, we see in uh, uh, the prophets of Baal, they cut themselves and they pour out their blood as they dance around. And all these things are supposed to uh, get the uh, goodwill of God. But Naaman uh, is given a word and doesn't believe the word. And the word is the thing that carries the... Maybe Naaman was looking for a photo op for uh, Twitter or Instagram or Snapchat so he could tell everybody, look where I'm at. I'm at the prophet's house, man. Look at this. We're going to do <laughs> See, See how we think and see, see how we roll all too often. And it just seems so simple, so mundane, so nothing. Water and word is going to do what? Doesn't make any sense, does it? No. And we had uh, in our earlier in our text, we had a little girl who believed the word, and she had the authority of the word. Uh, the same thing happens for Naaman here. Uh, he goes he goes on his uh, two year old little tirade, uh, stomping and and uh, yeah, I could have stayed home. I got better water back home. But his servants came near and said to him, "My father, it is a great word." The prophet has spoken to you. Will you not do it? Pastor, out of the mouths of babes, out of the mouths of little girls, out of the mouths of servants, where is the authority to heal Naaman? And where is the authority in the church today? We've got a couple minutes left in this segment. The authority of God's always carried in the Word. And so when uh, the Word of God says, wash in the Jordan River seven times and you'll be healed, uh, that Word does exactly what it says when it's attached to the means uh, which are promised. Uh, that's the promise that's given here to Naaman. And when he believes that Word and does what the Word says, uh, he is cleansed. Um, and the same thing then for you who are our listeners here. When your pastor says, I forgive you all your sins in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, it's not the pastor that's the important part. It's the word that he's speaking because it's the word of Jesus, and it's the word of Jesus that has then forgiven your sins. When uh, the pastor takes a baby in his arms and pours water on the baby's head in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, it's the word of God that makes that child baptized. When the pastor says, uh, take, eat, this is my body, take, drink, this is my blood, it is the word of God that makes Christ's body and blood present for the forgiveness of sins for you, just as promised. The Word carries the authority of God, and uh, Paul says it, sums it up in uh, Romans chapter 10, verse 17. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of Christ. That's the authority of God that works 
forgiveness for you, the word of Jesus. And that same authority is present today, right here and right now, in any church that preaches God's word, preaches and teaches God's word and its truth and purity, and administers the sacraments according to the promises and, uh, and command of God. You so, shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God. That's amen. exactly what it is. So this coming Sunday, get out of bed, make your coffee, read the paper, go to church. Hear the authoritative, life-giving word of God. Vicar, you want to end things with the collect of the day, please? Let us pray. Almighty and everlasting God, mercifully look upon our infirmities and stretch forth the hand of your majesty to heal and defend us. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Amen. This is Proclaiming the One. We'll see you again next week. <laughs>